Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Today is Friday, April 9th, and it is my favorite time of year. The Easter season, alleluia, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, alleluia. And in this resurrection hope, we gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and the Word made flesh. Our resurrected Lord Jesus, who is the true light, and his light has made God known to us, especially with an empty grave. The light shines on us today as we begin a new book, Second Thessalonians. What's interesting about this, interesting, excuse me, is that we just finished First Thessalonians, and there are very many similarities in these letters, but Paul addresses, seems to be addressing a new question. Has Jesus already come back? In Paul-like fashion, he speaks to these beloved saints as a pastor proclaiming both law and gospel, and never leaving the grace of our Lord Jesus out of the picture. Let's dig in this morning as the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A special thanks to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmission.org. To help us be strengthened by God's Word, we have with us regular guest Scott Adel of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church of Collinsville, Illinois. Pastor Adel, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. It's good to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Pastor, a blessed Easter to you and your family. How was your Easter? You also. I uh, went very well. Went very well. Tell us about what uh, what the Easter season looked like at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church. Uh, well, we had uh, a real good turnout for in-person worship. We also had a, uh, a parking lot service where we did it over the over the radio waves for for people who wanted to do it that way. And so we had a uh, it was beautiful weather too. So great all the way around. Well, that that's a that's a blessing. I have noticed talking to pastors here on Thy Strong Word, but also talking to friends of mine in our district and other parts of the country that. Easter was very well attended, all things considered. Um, I know yeah. for us, it was Christmas was was spotty at best, but boy, Easter really kind of brought out people in safe ways. Um, but also, it was a great joy. Would you describe that at Collinsville as well? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Wonderful. No, we love to, and uh, unfortunately, usually this coming Sunday is called Low Sunday, and that's gone back for centuries, but yeah, hope for uh, well, for some good turnout this Sunday, too. Absolutely, absolutely. So I've been asking um, our guests this week, as we are in the midst of 40 days of Easter, this is why for you, our listeners, to remember that you can go to people on the street and who you talk to at stores and your family and keep saying Happy Easter for a good number of more days. I wanted to ask uh, you, and we've been asking our, our listeners as well, what's your favorite Easter hymn? Favorite Easter hymn? Yeah. Oh. I'm calling you on the spot. I didn't prepare you for this, but I figured, you know what? I'll try it. It's Friday. Everyone's relaxed. Let's do this. Uh, this is a good question. Let me see. We we sang. It's just a one-verse one that we sang last week, and uh, He is a Risen, Glorious Word, 488. Just a yeah. uh, nice short one. Uh, Satan's arrows broken lie, destroyed hell's fiercest weapon. Oh, hear what cheer. Christ victorious, rising glorious, life is giving. He was dead, but now is living. Oh, that's great. Say it again. What is the name of that hymn? Christ is a risen, glorious word. 
Glorious word. All right. We've had a number of people write in. I know my Redeemer lives. Christ lay down in death strong bands, which is a great one that actually I haven't done for a while. Christ has arisen. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ is risen today. And yesterday, someone wrote in a communion hymn at the Lamb's High Feast We Sing, which has a stanza that just brings a wonderful Easter promise. And now 488 uh, Christ is risen, a glorious word. So thank you for that. And also to our listeners, if you have one that you want, this will be the last day I'm going to ask this, but if you have a favorite Easter hymn that you want to send to us, email us at kfuo, kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org, and let us know your favorite Easter hymn. So, as but we're here to uh, study the Word of God and begin a new book, Second Thessalonians. As we do this, Pastor, can you ask the Lord's blessings for us this morning in prayer? Yeah, let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here to read and hear your word. Please be with us as we do so. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And especially as we do so, help it give us uh, the hope and security uh, of knowing our salvation in Jesus Christ and of looking forward to his coming. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I think I'm going to do this this morning is we have 12 verses that we're going to be studying. And I think to hear these words from beginning to end, and then we'll go slower a few verses at a time, is very helpful, especially for me as I'm kind of a person who needs to hear things second or third times to actually remember them. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the first 12 verses of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, or second letter to the Thessalonians. Paul, Sibanus, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as it is right, because your faith is growing in abundantly, growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evident of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to those who are afflicted as well as to us when our Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels." in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer in punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and to work out faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, pastors, we hear these words. Um, Do you have any background or thematic thoughts you have to help us out this morning? Well, you, you could say that First and Second Thessalonians fit together rather nicely, and that they, they they appear to be dealing with several of the same questions, and uh, obviously arrive at the same conclusions, mm-hmm. and that it, it is a 
a very interesting thing in that it's he, he's talking about theology as if it matters to our everyday lives, and clearly they were receiving it that way too, and mm. in a way where they they get it a little bit. They're clearly listening and believing what Paul and the other apostles told them, but they arrive at kind of, well, what does this mean for our lives? And while trying to do that, some of them end up at a little bit awkward place, and Paul says, well, it is good that you're looking forward to the coming of the Lord. However, maybe approach it this way instead of that way. And so it's uh, both First and Second Thessalonians have these questions especially regarding Christ's second coming, uh, what that means for those who have died is one of the things that he've dealt with in First Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians as well deals with, well, wh- what does that mean for those of us who are alive, and mm. w- what does it mean for our lives? And, and these kind of questions and discussions overlap both, both of the letters. But, yeah, so you'll see very similar thoughts uh, in both letters. You know that that's really helpful because there is a definite okay. This what does this resurrection thing mean going on for the Thessalonians? And Paul does, and that's wonderful insight because he does talk about okay. So yes, that that's an important thing, but let's also remember what's going on right now. Clearly, today he's talking about persecution. Um, and he speaks yeah. very explicitly at the end of First Thessalonians about, okay, this is what you do. Okay, the end, yes, we have that hope, but let's be honest. Let's do all these things. It goes on the whole laundry list. And I encourage yeah. our listeners to really read those last verses in chapter 5 because obviously they applied, and we went through this with Pastor Shave yesterday, Dr. Shave, and and it's so important to go back to that. I feel like I need to... Um, go through that list after I do Luther's morning prayer <laughs> to remind me, okay, this is part of my vocational calling as as a Christian, because yes, the end is coming, but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done until the Lord returns. So any other thoughts from this? Well, no, uh, I don't, I don't think any, uh, anything other than what we've added other than when we get into the verses specifically. No, very yeah. good. Very good. Uh, that Great insight. Thank you for that. As we look at, uh, we'll start, we'll go just a few verses at a time. Um, and let us begin, reminder to our listeners, that we are reading from the English Standard Version of Holy Scripture. So we'll just do the greeting for now. Paul, verses 1 and 2. Paul, Salvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So nothing really new here, but do you have any background? Uh, Paul, uh, Salvanus, and Timothy, who are these guys? Usually, I mean, I think we all know who Paul is. Timothy is someone that he picked up uh, along the way and was a believer. And then both with him and Silas, you see as you go through the book of Acts that uh, there are sometimes places where Paul gets in trouble, and gets pushed out, and Thessalonica actually is one of these places. If you read in Acts chapter 17, the first uh, several verses there, it talks about Paul arriving, preaching in the synagogue to both Jews and Greeks who were there, and at some point, several of the Jews at least get fed up and cause some kind of riot, and uh, with with the result that Paul and Silas and Timothy leave, and they go to the next town, and kind of the the same pattern develops. But one of the things that you recognize through Acts is that 
several of these places that Paul has been pushed out of for a variety of reasons, he ends up uh, either years later going back himself or sometimes in the meantime sending someone like Timothy or Silas or Barnabas Hmm. back around to help that church and to continue in the teaching that, that many times Paul had been able to begin, or at least uh, some, t- some places got to flesh out quite, quite fully, but they're coming back again to uh, encourage and help that church. And so you see these three quite often interacting mm-hmm. that way throughout the book of Acts. And Thessalonica, as I said, is one of these places where Paul's pushed out, and so as he moves down south further into Greece, eventually he will send Silas or Timothy or one of his other helpers back to these towns where they'd been to follow up. And that, that's very helpful because he um, he doesn't leave these churches alone and you know to, to be a lone ranger or something along those right. lines. Even though I try to think of myself that if if I was in a town and they did what they did. To Paul, I don't know if I would be real excited about sending. Well, maybe I would send somebody else clearly, but I don't know if I'd want to go back. And it would be hard not to get bitter. And so Paul writes these letters not as a, a man who's bitter, but a man of joy. Um, he tells them, "Rejoice always, um, uh, yeah. pray without ceasing." I mean, he's just—he is so much love and care for these congregations, as Pastor Shave said yesterday so well. Like a church planter, like a founding pastor of this congregation who still dearly loves these saints. So, yeah, that's a wonderful background of, of those three guys. Very similar, almost identical um, to the first Thessalonians beginning. Here what struck sure. me as well is that he says um, to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? And then he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He almost repeats himself, but I think yeah. it really hits that theme that he is always wanting to be very clear about the relationship of God and Christ to, and how that grace is important. Because he ends, the, you know, First Thessalonians with that, you know, may the grace of Jesus Christ be with you. And he begins this one in the same way. Any, any reflections on that as he does this? Well, as you said, the interesting thing here is to the Church of the Thessalonians in God our Father, and the, this, this is the one from whom we receive grace and peace, and that it is a familiar relationship that the, he specifically says, Our Father, which is, of course, how the Lord's Prayer begins. But it is an emphasis that in the Church we have this kind of relationship to God the Father, and that this is where our grace and peace come from, which, as he goes on to, on to state, this is where our security and hope come from as well. He's going to be talking about persecutions and tribulations and these kind of things, which can tend to frighten people and scare mm-hmm. them. And, and he just reiterates, no, 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 you're solid because you're in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's that's fascinating, too, because if you look at First Thessalonians, and I encourage our listeners that you can look at First Thessalonians and the greeting, uh, you know, we don't want to nitpick too much into this and think, oh, well, what's going on there? Let's, 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 let's nitpick and think with trying to figure out what Paul's doing. But there definitely is a focus in this persecution, because in First Thessalonians, uh, verse 1, he just says, grace to you and peace which obviously is is perfectly fine. We know the context of that. But in this one, you know, he repeats grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Thessalonians in God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, reminding them who they are with. And part of that is caring for them because of the fear. Well, 
let's be honest, reading these verses kind of scares me a little bit. <laughs> Correct. So, so <laughs> when he, especially when he goes on to say that this, this is this is fitting <laughs> in regard to their tribulation. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's very helpful to always remember, and this goes to Colossians as well, at our relationship in Christ. Paul never gets away from that. This is who you are in mm-hmm. Christ. Any other thoughts on the greeting? No. no. Okay. Let's move on. Verses 3 and 4, when he gets straight to thanksgiving. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as it is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring." So he gives thanks. This is pretty standard as far as his letters. I guess the only place he doesn't really do that is in Galatians. Um, but any unique things that you've found here in the Thanksgiving? Well, as you said, uh, we boast about your ch- about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Which, as you said, it's an odd time, one would think, or we're kind of accustomed. Why would you be giving thanks <laughs> for that, and, right. and especially at that time. And yet he says we ought always, like it is something that we need to do, is give mm-hmm. thanks to God, even in these times. And I think one of the things that the scriptures point out is even for these times, there is a way that we can be thankful for these times as well. But it, it strikes our ear as odd to know that, so wait a second, they're undergoing persecution an affliction, and yet you're giving thanks? How would that possibly go together? And yet he says, it is exactly at that time, because right then your faith is growing abundantly, your love for every uh, for others is mm-hmm. increasing, and in these persecutions and afflictions, you are enduring, which is definitely something to be thankful for. Right, and and and, and I love. Uh, I was reading uh, Lenski on this, and it, you know, he says we ought always to give thanks for to God for you, and he's almost like saying, "Well, we just can't help it. I just can't help it. I have to give thanks for you people." And and you don't know if he's hesitant or what he is, but then he explains, "I just can't help but give thanks for you people. Thanks to God always." And then here's persecution. Now. My reading, I didn't really get a good feel for the persecution they were going through. Did you catch anything on that? No, other than, I mean, kind of throughout the early church, there's a, a back and forth of persecution. I mean, we did see there was persecution in Acts 17 when the Jews mm-hmm. rose up against Paul. And so it could be a, a continuation of that kind of thing, or there could be something else, uh, as often right. happens in the early church. Right. And and even in the midst of this, that they are growing abundantly, their faith is growing abundantly, mm-hmm. their, um, uh, their love for one another is growing, and then they're enduring. Um, and, that's and always this, amazing this to me. How would, during a time. Right, right. And how would... So, so let, me, let me take a step back here and ask you kind of a... It, it is a pastoral question. Is that people would say, if we have such a loving God... Why would, first of all, he allow this persecution? 
And how would people grow in this? I mean, that's probably a very American question because we haven't really gone through persecution here, but it's hard to wrap the brain around. So how would you describe that to a parishioner or to someone that you speak to about that dichotomy we deal with? Well, I mean, the, the, the scripture puts it different ways at different places, and one of the one of the ways it talks about this is as a fire refining metal, mm. and that if, if you picture that process, or if you were to try and put yourself in the place of metal going through the fire, obviously that's not a pleasant process, but the end result is exactly what you want. The end result is, I mean, usually the metals we're talking about here are something like gold or silver mm-hmm. and how how we want you know 24 karat or 99.9% pure that that is the valuable stuff that's what you're looking for but you don't get to that except through this process uh this process of refining and so the the scriptures talk about something that purifies our faith and in some ways you could say purifies the saints is by them going through this process of suffering and tribulation and trial, that it purifies us in that way. And the the end result is better, but it includes the actual refining process itself, which is not exactly pleasant. (laughs) No, and I think the passage that comes to mind as you say that is from 1 Peter chapter 1, where it says, so that the uh, during persecution, various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That 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 part is very helpful in that passage that connects to this very well. Is through these trials, our faith becomes stronger. Because, like you said, like gold or silver becomes more pure, the same thing happens to us in our faith. But that's kind of hard to swallow. How would you talk to someone about that? I, I think you just have to lay it. I think you have to be honest. <laughs> You're right. That is hard to swallow. That's hard to go through. <laughs> Tribulation and trial right. and persecution is hard to go through. There's no way around that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Other right. than uh, we look to the future, which is one of the things that, that he's going to do, uh, I mean, in the in the next set of verses, but also that he did in in First Thessalonians, and I, I mean, he does to some extent in all of his letters, is that we look to a better future, and that better future arrives when Jesus returns, and that to try and settle or make uh, make peace with the world as it is just should not be, should not be it. it in the world, you will have tribulations, right? I mean, this is what Christ tells us, that we should not expect anything other than that. Uh, when times are peaceful, great. We give thanks for that, too. But uh, that kind of stuff can make you complacent in a way that persecution and tribulation don't, because it really rings out of you, What? where does my hope and security lie? Mm. And, and at least for the faithful, it, it lies in Christ alone, in his return. And we, we will settle for nothing short of that. And that's that's helpful, too, because you think about um, uh, we have not gone through persecution over the last year, but we have had trials. And there's a lot of people that, what is my hope in? What is my trust in? 
and that and that's been trying for all for me and you know especially because like was my hope in the number of people who were sitting in the pews was my hope in knowing this is how much people will give this last year i mean a year ago you had no uh-huh. idea people are just gonna be like well i have no money and, and therefore i'm not gonna give and so like what are we gonna do what do we do with this building what do we do with this well, how do we pay right. for this technology there was yep. a lot of trial that was there not persecution mm-hmm. i'm not trying to equate those things but yet yeah, what? Yeah. Where does your hope lie? And that's not fun. I, I didn't enjoy that. Still don't enjoy that. <laughs> no, it, it's not but, enjoyable. And yet, there are ways in which the scriptures say it's necessary. Absolutely. And that if you'd come out of this with, uh, I, I mean, it, if you come out and say, no, what matters to me is the number of people that show up or the the amount of money that I get. If if that falls short, then your faith lies in ruins, right? What what were you hoping in? And and furthermore what was ever promised to you in those regards, you know? Exactly, exactly. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other <laughs> other ground is sinking sand. So I'm going to read uh, uh, verse five, verses 5 through 8. And this has been very hard for me to figure out how we want to separate these verses, but we'll plow through them as we go. I'll read verses 5 through 8, and then I think what we'll do is that we'll go on our break, and, we'll, and then we'll be back to talk about these verses. So 5 through 8. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to those, to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we reflect on those words um, and chew on those a little bit, it is time for our break. We are studying 2 Thessalonians with Pastor Scott Adel, and we'll be right back. the nation we are here for our communities we're doing our part to get supplies where it's needed in order to fight COVID-19 together it feels good to be out there to assist our community I would like our friends and family to know that your National Guardsmen are always ready and always there visit NationalGuard.com to find out more sponsored by the Missouri Army National Guard aired by the Missouri Broadcasters Association and this station The family is where we learn to share, love, and care for each other. It's also where we learn to forgive and be forgiven. The same goes for God's family, the church. What it means to be a family with guest speaker Dr. Gerard Bowling this week on The Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 1230 and 5 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO. Our creation is the result of a fluke, an accident, is ridiculous. A hundred thousand monkeys typing on a hundred thousand typewriters, even after a million years, would never produce the works of William Shakespeare. 
But they might produce several episodes of Wrestling with the Basics Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. On air or on demand. A click away 24 hours a day at KFUO.org. And welcome back. We are studying 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 with Pastor Scott Adel. And we have been going through uh, some difficult parts here, and we're actually going to get to some more difficult um, situations, or at least difficult in how we typically think of the Christian faith in our culture, is the question of why am I being tested? Uh, what is the Lord doing? What about persecution? And what about those who persecute us? How does this all fit? Now, Pastor Adel, in, chapter, in verse 5, he speaks about this evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. I can't help but think about Acts chapter 5, when it tells about um, you know the, the apostles that they were uh, beaten and charged never to speak in the name of Jesus again, and they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. Um, I think that's pretty similar. What do you think? No, I, the, the, that is also the phrase uh, that comes to my mind, too. I mean, there's, there seems to be an overlap in some of the language used. Uh, the, the, they were rejoicing because they were considered worthy to suffer. That's just not usually the first thing that comes to our minds <laughs> when right. any kind of, as you said, when any kind of, even if it's not persecution, but any kind of trial, it just doesn't, it's not what comes to our minds usually. No, and and in this world there will be trouble, as you as you mentioned, um, and this is always a, it's always a reflection for me. First of all, to think about if persecution comes, you know, and I, I don't like to say um, that it will, because that sometimes gets a little bit like, for example, my grandparents never went through persecution. Uh, my parents have not. Uh, uh, the church has not much here in America, uh, but but if it does come. You pray for the Lord to give you strength to be able to do similar things. Maybe not exactly whistling while you walked away, um, but definitely saying, Lord, I know you're going to help me through this. Any reflections on that as you think about that in your position as pastor? And and I don't know. I really have a tension yeah. with that and as, as Christians, I should say. Any no, thoughts? I think we actually should have that mind. I mean, th- th- that's clearly the mind of the apostles who were trained by Christ, remember? Mm-hmm. So uh, it's also exactly what he says in the Sermon on the Mount, right? That we should right. rejoice and be glad in that day. And so you're, you're right. It does seem foreign to our minds, but that might be more the problem of our minds <laughs> rather mm-hmm. than... Uh, Rather than just assuming that our normal reaction is the best one, Christ tells us, rejoice, be glad in that day. And you see the apostles doing exactly that. And on the other hand, when you hear us whining, eh, maybe there's, <laughs> uh, maybe we need to change our hearts and minds uh, about that kind of reaction instead of them. Yeah, exactly. And and this is where I've been I've been reflecting a lot on these passages and I think I'm going to continue to try to do this during this program is to look at what does the small catechism have to say about this. And it and this was a little bit tricky, you know, there's not a lot of uh things about persecution in the small catechism as far as the the text itself, but it does talk about lead us not into temptation that although we are attacked by these things, this is a sixth petition, and lead us not into temptation, what does this mean? 
Although we are attacked by these things, we pray that we may finally overcome them and win the victory over temptations, meaning that the Lord's going to give us uh, what we need in order to move forward. And, uh, and, and no matter what happens, but deliver us from evil, it says, um, finally, when our last hour comes, give us a blessed end and graciously take us from this valley of sorrows to himself in heaven. And, and reminds us that this, on this side of eternity, that we are dealing with a valley of sorrows. This was never promised to be paradise. This was never promised to be perfect. <laughs> and so to keep in a reminder that there's, there's still more yet to come. And the Lord still has us here. Any any thoughts on what Luther writes in those the small catechism? Well, I mean, he he is right to call it a valley of sorrows. I mean, the Psalm calls it through the valley of the shadow of death. That uh, the this is a fallen world, and the, this world fights against Christ. It fights against Christians, and this should be expected. And yet. Even here, I mean, one of the things that he's getting, he'd already given thanks for them, and in, in the rest of the chapter, and indeed the rest of the book, he's going to use them as an example to others, and that when people go through persecution and affliction, and yet still worship the Lord, and still praise Him, and give thanks to Him, A, this is good for them, this is what they should be doing, Right. B... It is good for other Christians when they hear of that, when they see that, when they when they recognize that. Oh, we're not all we're not on our own in this. There are others undergoing the same kind of thing. And look at them; mm-hmm. they're standing strong. That they're doing exactly what we're called to do: worship the Lord, and kind of get on about our lives and look forward to the future, knowing that God is the one who is going to ultimately settle this all out. And I mean, in the verses that we have here, he's even talking about uh, either avenging or or dealing out just affliction to those who have afflicted the church. And just be like, well, that's good. That's something to look forward to as well. (laughs) (laughs) Right, yeah. And and it reminds me of John chapter 9. Jesus heals a man born blind. Well, what sin did the parents do? And Jesus says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So that goes exactly what you're saying, that how is God's work going to be displayed in those who are persecuted? Which you can't deny that when you have seen persecution, whether on TV or maybe personally or whatever it might be, that it does give you a, a, a stronger faith to realize, wow, if they're willing to go through that, then I can go through this, whatever it might be. So I think that's a, a very good way um, to lay that out, Pastor. I think now let's get to a way. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Say, go, this is also on. a way that we can we can think about the past year, and like you said, not persecution, but trials or what, whatever you want to call it. We should use that as training and strengthening for when and if persecution does come. That uh, we should, as a church, (laughs) react strongly to the idea that we might lose services, and we want to cling to them as hard hard as we can. And that if we're going to back down with something as relatively mild as the past year, then uh, 
we need to keep doing our exercise. We need to strengthen ourselves because this is mm-hmm. uh, there's a probability that this might get worse. Right, right. And, you know, we're not prophets. We're not trying to predict this. But we look back and see, see, the Lord will provide. Now, the, now we ask the Lord to help us, as it says, to pray that he will provide whatever comes next. I think is a, that's a great way of putting it. Now, now it goes to another move. So, okay, um, you should be considered worthy. This goes back to Acts chapter 5. And now uh, God's going to do something that he will have his vengeance. Oh, yes, he will have his vengeance. I think <laughs> I think of different movies that talk this way. Um, but he'll have his vengeance on those who are persecuting you. Now, how are we to model all this in? You know, Jesus says uh, to, you know, turn the other cheek. Uh, we have this kind of understanding of we, that Jesus, God wants all people to be saved. But here it talks, you know, there's some, there's some problems here. There's going to be people there's going to be vengeance on. How do we fit all this together as we look at God's Word? Well, he points out that this is the judgment ultimately from God. And God is a righteous judge, and his judgment is righteous. And that... You see this going all the way back through uh, the Old Testament as well. I mean, we, we talked earlier about God being our Father. Well, how do you think a father looks at it when his children are mistreated? Is he going to do something? And we would say, absolutely. Uh, if you go back to Genesis, when God speaks to Abraham and blesses him, one of the things he says is, I will bless those who bless you and those who curse you. Uh, I can't remember what the translation is now. I, I will esteem lightly or something like that, but kind of along the lines of, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And this this, this is just uh, a furtheration of that. If we are the seed of Abraham, which we would say we are because of Christ, then that same kind of blessing applies, that he is going to bless those who bless the church and those who afflict the church, he is going to afflict and it may not be exactly right now, and it may not even be next week. It may be when Christ returns again. This is also how Paul talks in, I believe, Romans, when he talks about mm-hmm. we don't avenge ourselves. Like you said, we, we turn the other cheek. But we leave vengeance to God, knowing that he'll be able to do it and that he will do it correctly. And so this is, this is exactly what he's talking about, the, the, the righteous judgment of God when Christ returns again being dealt out. And that and that is, you know, that's a great way of thinking about it because we often we want to be the ones who take vengeance. You know, we want to have our day, you know, and I was, this is this is actually from the movie Gladiator, you know, and Russell Crowe, it gets revealed that he's the guy who is uh the Spaniard and that his enemy comes down and meets him and he says, "Oh, and I will have my vengeance. And it's just a great part of the movie, those who have watched that movie. But that's what we want. We want that Russell Crowe moment where we are going to have our vengeance. And here it is. And here he's reminding us, it's actually not yours to give. This is mine. Mm-hmm. And it will come. And it will come mm-hmm. in God's time. And, that, and that's kind of hard, too, um, to think about because, well... We want it to happen at a time that we see it and the best time that we want it to happen. So, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Any other thoughts on that? Well, the, I mean, the, the 7 and 8 end with when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. 
mm. that oftentimes when we uh, think of vengeance and we get very prim and proper and be like, well, no, that would be that would be bad, wouldn't it? And mm-hmm. Paul says, no, it's fully what they deserve. And when he gets into chapter 2, he will say, because they did not love the truth, they refused to love the truth, I think maybe even how he puts it, that uh, this rightly is God's response to sinners is punishment. I mean, if you were, if you're to deal with them according to our justice— we all deserve that wrath and destruction, and yet the the good news of the gospel is that that's not what he wants to do. He wants to save us in Christ Jesus. But those who refuse the gospel of the Lord Jesus, this is what they're left with then, is judgment. If you will not accept the plea deal, <laughs> right. okay, then we're going to court, and you are going to be found guilty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, that's, and that's very... Um, it's very important for us to remember it isn't as if God's like hiding something from us. You know, talk about the you know, Jesus was the light and made God known to us, that this gospel has been known, um, has been proclaimed, has been given. The free forgiveness of sins has been presented before your very face. And if you say, yeah, I don't want it. I want something else. You know, well, here's here's the consequences of this. And that's yeah, hard to swallow also, at times, but it's also true. Go ahead. It is, and it, it also, I mean, the Scriptures just never go along with the thing that we are tempted to go along with, with basically everyone's pretty good, right? No. <laughs> no, they're not. Well, they wouldn't deserve, <laughs> like, the vengeance of the Lord. Yeah, the Scriptures are pretty clear that they would, and furthermore, mm-hmm. so would you, if right. not for Christ stepping in. So would you. And there's just a denial of modern man to to agree with that 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 we're actually that bad that sin's really that big a deal and that it would ever that it would ever result in something like judgment or eternal destruction no 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 you're you're making that stuff you're making too big a deal of it and the scriptures from tip to tail say uh no we're not no we're not <laughs> yeah and and that's an important thing i i heard it explained this way that at 9-11, when, when the, the Twin Towers were attacked, that one person said, how can God allow so many good people to die that day? Now, what I want to make sure that everyone knows is that it was a horrible thing. And, and I still grieve it. I mean, this is 20 years later, literally almost 20 years, and it's still something that you grieve. And the hard part of any kind of tragedy is that nobody is innocent in those situations. Uh, Not in the sense of like the fault. What I'm saying is that we all are ones who this, this can be any of us at any time because, you know, we are fallen short, you know, and do not deserve any, this is not paradise. This was not paradise. And you say, how could all that happen? Well, nobody involved, nobody in the world is quote good on their own. And what we need is because any moment these things can happen. We are evil. We are uh, broken people that we deserve nothing but death. But our Lord Jesus gives us hope that there's more to this life. And so was anybody good there? No. Is anybody good in our churches? No. Is anybody good in the world? No. Um, This is why we need the blood of Jesus to save us. And that's where our hope lies because 
this is just an evil world in the valley of sorrows as we and valley of tears, as it says also. And, and that's an important thing to remember. Not only, well, none of them were good, but also to point ourselves and say, well, neither am I, but thanks be to God who has a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Any other thoughts there, Pastor? No. Okay. <laughs> now I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. There's a question that has been sent in, and I and I know Pastor Adel's a smart guy, and I want to make sure that we uh, that we hash this one out together. This is from James, and the question is this: Is there a structural functionalism in the thematic explanation that Paul uses to comfort the the Thessalonians that is relevant to our postmodern world and faith today? So let me repeat that just to make sure that we're on the same page. Is there a structural functionalism in the thematic explanation that Paul uses to comfort the Thessalonians that was relevant to our postmodern world and faith today? Any first thoughts on that, Pastor? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let's move yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, the answer is yes. Uh, no, I I think you could say that, yes, there's, there's a way in which I mean, as you said, the, the, the letters of Paul are structured, but does that mean that they're all form letters? No, not at all. And does it mean that repetition can't be a good thing? We would say, no, absolutely, repetition can be a good thing. And was it good for them back in the first century? Absolutely. Is it Was it good for the church in the modern era? You're thinking 17 and 1800s? Absolutely. Is it oh, good yeah. for the church mm-hmm. in the postmodern era? Absolutely, because the things that he is talking about, and there is a way in which maybe the vagueness of their persecutions and trials, as we, as, as we talked about, what, what, exactly what afflictions is he talking about? We don't know, but we do know that we also go through afflictions and trials, as, we, as we've been talking about earlier, and this is exactly how we relate this letter to us in 21st century America, because... I doubt that our afflictions and trials are going to be the exact same as the Thessalonians, although there will certainly be overlap. There's always overlap in the way that the world persecutes the Church, should it come to that. Mm-hmm. But there, there is something about structure that is pleasing to our ears and pleasing to our senses. This is exactly why the liturgy is such mm-hmm. an important piece of theology and why going over it week in and week out is good for us. Well, especially, you know, looking at these words where he says, we cannot help but give thanks to you, for you, you know, that that, that this is happening and, and it's it just going to ring in our ears like, wow, okay, all right. So when there are trials, we can still give thanks. And and then to go through the list of, but there will be vengeance. I mean, the, the structure that he gives, the greetings, the thanksgivings, the problem that's presented to them is also a natural form that we have in our own lives. And I was thinking about this, I think around May, that I made sure, because when people started worshiping again in our congregation in July, the question is, how much of the liturgy can you do? You know, like, it was like, well, can we have a half an hour service? Can we have 40 minutes? Or should we have 10 minutes? Or how should we do this? And one of the things I made sure that we had, I mean, along with confession absolution, was to always have the Kyrie um, and to say, you know, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. To say, Lord, Help us, 
over and over and over again. And that's, you know, that's a, a common thing that we absolutely need. So yeah, Paul, Paul reflects that, right? Is just continually, if you look at all the letters, he has very similar themes of, of even if they're dealing with um, um, circumcision or they're dealing with super apostles or they're dealing with end times, he has a very common theme that relates to our world today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we, um, we thank you. Worship a God of order. So <laughs> That means exactly that. Exactly exactly right. Thank you, James, for your email. Um, uh, Continue to bring those questions. And reminder to our listeners, if you have any questions, we'll try to address them the best that we can according to God's Word. We have have less than 10 minutes, so let's finish out our verses here, Pastor, uh, 9 through 12, and we'll wrap things up and look at all the themes and see what it relates to today. uh, Beginning in verse 9, or continue in verse 9. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Pastor, he uh, he wraps things up. He talks about vengeance, but he also talks about, well, how this relates to us. What is he saying? Well, wh- one of the things he's saying is that the uh, the punishment that is coming is away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. Hmm. This is, the ultimate punishment is being away from the Lord. And, I mean, this is one of the things that the the scriptures are so clear to point out about what Christ's sacrifice does for us when he atones for our sins, when we are forgiven— he will go on to say that therefore we are reconciled to God. And that that chasm that had been put there because of sin, that gap is closed, and that this indeed will be the the greatest part of heaven, the new world, the the new age, however you want to put it, is this revelation puts it, when, when the heavenly Jerusalem comes down and God says, now my dwelling is with man, that we will be in his presence eternally is the greatest part about heaven. It's not just nice weather and doing hobbies that you like to do. No, the fact that we are in the Lord's presence is what will make it great. And the, I mean, the, this is also kind of one of the keys to parables like the parable of the the wedding feast. It it talks about the kingdom of heaven as a marriage between a bride and her groom, and that that kind of is the point of the wedding feast. To to miss the groom would be to miss the whole thing. And that this is, in some way, the ultimate punishment is being away from the presence of the Lord. This also is what... All the saints, when you read through the book of Job, this is what he's worried about is not even, he doesn't even mention 
the loss of his goods or even his children, I think maybe once. But what he is dealing with in the rest of the book is, wait a second, what does God think about me? And mm. this is also the cry of dereliction from the cross, right? This is Jesus quoting Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That This is his ultimate punishment, is being forsaken by the Father. And the, the, the way that uh, Paul lays this out in the Thessalonians is that is the ultimate punishment, is being away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed, that we glorify him, we see him coming, and we are thankful and giving praise and and recognizing that this is what everything leads up to. This is what we were made for. And there's a way that uh, that is what we should be looking for and where we should be placing our hope. And, and furthermore, it all hangs on that. If he does not return, then we are, I mean, this to paraphrase Paul and or uh, to use the same words as Paul in First Corinthians 15, if he does not return, then our faith is in vain, and we are yeah. to be pitied. Nothing worse than thinking of being alone, separated. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah. alone. I mean, this is true for us just on a personal level in, in society, but to know that we would be separated from God, almighty God, gracious God, God and creator of all things, a loving God, and and to be to be alone, which is why obviously the incarnation is so huge, and why uh, that mm-hmm. He is with us always to the end of the age, and nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Um, all of that, exactly what you're saying. The biggest problem and the biggest um, uh, thing that we grieve over is that people would be left apart from their Lord. That's that's a wonderful way for us to put this. And when it comes to that day be glorifying the saints. And then on the flip side of this is to think about how we have, I mean, just think about what we have to look forward to, which is to be with almighty God face to face in perfection throughout all eternity. It might seem boring at first. It's kind of like, you know, okay, I'm looking at this mountain. That's great. But eventually I have to do something else. No, it's going to be completely different than that. It is God himself in perfection for all eternity. That is what we have to look forward to. Pastor, we have a couple minutes here. Any um, last thoughts you want to kind of summarize this or bring it together as we look at our world today? Well, that kind of that that vision of wanting to be with the Lord is what should I, I, I hope strengthen our faith and point us forward to that day, which will help us when we're enduring persecution, affliction trial, because we know that we are looking forward to something. I mean, Hebrews gets into this when it's going through the list of saints, uh, uh, Old Testament guys, and said, but even they did not arrive at the end yet. They also are looking forward to it as we are, and that this should give us endurance. I mean, one one of the things that he gave thanks for was their endurance, right? Their tenacity to hold on to the faith in the face of suffering, and that they did it, we also should also should draw strength from that and be just as tenacious, mm-hmm. just, just as much clinging to 
the promises that we have in Christ so that, you know, whatever trials come, we say, well, I'm with Christ, and ultimately my hope lies there rather than any, any earthly gain I might have. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, I think is the is the great line. And you and him according to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, meaning it's not up to us, it's about God's grace. Mm-hmm. Now I wanted to say one final thing and get your thought is in verse 11, I think this is going to change my prayer life. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and fulfill every resolve. Every day here in KFUO on Thy Strong Word, we have a pastor and his congregation or the place that he lives that God gives us an opportunity to pray. And my encouragement to our listeners and uh, and for me, I want to do this as well, is to pray not only for our faith, but pray that if we go through persecution, our Lord will keep us faithful. Any last thoughts on that or anything else in the text as we have about 30 seconds left, Pastor? No, other than, I mean, you see exactly how it was exciting times back then. It's still exciting times now, and we, <laughs> we face many similar things, and uh, the, the, the same gospel is the gospel to all. And that's why it is all in the name of Jesus. Pastor Scott Adel of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois, helping us start off on the right foot with Second Thessalonians. Pastor Adel, thank you again for being our guest. Absolutely. Saints of our Lord, there will be a day when our Lord returns, and we pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling, which we know we are worthy because of what our Lord Jesus has done, and may he be glorified in all that we do, of course, according to his grace, not our own. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. A blessed Easter season to everyone. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.